This podcast is brought to you by Kaya FM in partnership with the Conrad Adenauer Foundation. In the grip of COVID-19, in the cold confines of a lockdown, it's hard to look beyond the present. But there will be a post-coronavirus world, and it is taking shape right now, presenting us with critical choices. Do we go back to what we had as best we can, or do we seize the opportunity to shape a new and more inclusive country, a more sustainable and equitable world? Welcome to Beyond Corona, South Africa and the world after the pandemic. It's brought to you by Kaya FM in association with the Conrad Adenauer Foundation. In our first episode, we look at issues of economic justice and inequality. Can we do these things differently? Ever since the lockdown, President Cyril Ramaphosa has put these issues squarely on the table on more than one occasion. This is what he said when addressing the nation on the 21st of April. We will forge a compact for radical economic transformation that ensures that advances on the economic position of women, youth and persons with disabilities, and that makes our cities our towns, our villages, and our rural areas vibrant centers of economic activity. Our new economy must be founded on fairness, empowerment, justice, and equality. It must use every resource, every capability, and every innovation we have in the service of the people of this country. Our new economy must open up new horizons and offer new opportunities to all South Africans. Joining me to explore this issue, two guests. Professor Harun Borat is the Director of the Development Policy Research Unit at the University of Cape Town's School of Economics. Professor Borat, welcome and thanks for giving us your time. Thank you. Thank you, John. Joining us from the University of Stellenbosch Business School is Dr. Ntabiseng Moliko, who is a Senior Lecturer in Managerial Economics and Statistics. Dr. Moliko, welcome to you as well. Thanks, John, for having me. President Ramaphosa, uh, Professor Borat, spoke of, quote, a new economy founded on fairness, empowerment, justice and equality. What would that new economy, as described there, look like to you? Well, I think, John, I mean, one of the one of the opportunities, if you like, but also challenges that faces us um, as we reach the peak of COVID-19 infections is to use that opportunity to think of a society that is more inclusive, a society that possibly puts in place economic policy levers that may give greater opportunities for small businesses, for the informal sector, uh, look at mechanisms through which uh, productive uh, mass-based employment through economic growth can effectively then lead us to, if you like, an economic nirvana, right, where where we're on a new uh, trajectory of growth. And I think that's what President Ramaphosa is hoping as a sort of positive outcome of this almost reset that COVID-19 seems to be presenting us with. Um, there, there are lots of challenges, though, and I'm happy to chat a little bit more about that, but I think that's the vision uh, that the president is presenting. But just to stay with you, I mean, if, if I were to ask you to describe a fairer more just, more equal economy that empowers South African citizens. What would the key features be? You mentioned levers that would uh, aid, aid the informal sector and small business. What else? 
Well, so, I mean, the, the levers, if, if we had a tabula rasa, so if we had to restart the economy, and we're thinking in visionary terms, right, you'd have a society where uh, individuals born into this country would have as equal a possibility as any other to to be mobile, to get a good good quality education, to proceed through into uh, higher education without financial constraints, and then proceed into the labour market, if you like, uh, and and, uh, and 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 not face discrimination and not face um, issues of low quality education and 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 be able to start uh, small or large businesses or be able to grow businesses. So, in many ways, those are the nuts and bolts of the vision. But what that presents is a society ultimately that, uh, or a country or an economy that grows at fairly high levels and grows consistently at those levels, but grows in a way that generates a more equal growth path. What I just described, those steps of the life cycle, if you like, will generate a more equal society. That's really uh, what all those visions uh, end up uh, coalescing around, is giving people equal uh, opportunities to proceed on the basis of uh, human capital accumulation or earnings, um, unhindered by policy problems or or discrimination and so on. And what that delivers, just very quickly, is uh, we like to use it, but I think it's true, a sort of Scandinavian, Scandinavian type nirvana where you've got high growth levels, low levels of poverty, you know, levels of inequality, and a, and a sort of fair, just society. Dr. Moliko, I suppose the same question to you, but perhaps you can talk a bit more about measures that would need to be taken to create greater fairness, greater justice, greater equality. What would be the key things that would characterize a society that moved more decisively towards that than the one we we had pre-corona? Well, let's just admit firstly that whatever we have done prior to COVID-19 did not work. Yes. So the first point I want to point out is if we are going to go along the same trajectory of policy implementation, I think there is a lot of discussion around how South Africa has good policy tools that it doesn't implement. I do not necessarily agree with that on the economic front. The economic policies that we have espoused and have implemented for the last 25 years have not yielded growth outcomes pre-corona. They've not yielded employment levels uh, that are below 22% pre-corona. I have not yielded uh, investor confidence. We've had two downgrades um, by both uh, different credit rating agencies pre-corona. So these things happened uh, prior to COVID-19 coming to the fore. They were just now extended and further worsened. I think corona has worsened and exacerbated existing inequalities, inefficiencies, and market failures that exist in our economy right now. So we cannot blame corona and COVID-19 for the situation of our economy, but we can say it has worsened by the economic shocks that we have faced. So that's number one. We must accept that the growth path that South Africa has been on, the economic policies have not necessarily led to further employment, uh, reduction of inequality with the worsened, the height, the, the most worst uh, level of inequality with the Gini index. Globally, we have the most unequal society, and I think that's well known. So the question that you're asking me is, what steps will it take 
for us to have a more equal society? Uh, how do we mobilize resources, I guess, for the national good and, and, and also redistribute uh, equally to all South Africans, irrespective of race, class and gender? I think the, the first point is, what is it that will take us to a more uh, intensified growth path? We have not been growing. And I think we need to ask the critical question of what are the key sectors and what are the best practices in other economies, other nations uh, that have had similar backgrounds to South Africa, low unemployment levels, uh, I mean, high unemployment levels, really staggered growth, uh, colonization as a background and a history, divided uh, resources based on race. And I think Asian economies are a good example for us uh, as a best practice. And we've seen how they've used key sectors, and one of them is manufacturing, John. Um, Manufacturing is a key engine for growth. Why? Because, one, you grow faster if you have a larger manufacturing sector. Two, it also affects the pace of growth. Uh, The type of growth that we have had in South Africa is debt-driven consumption, particularly from households having more consumption and and driven by debt. And you see this in the household income levels to debt ratio. Um, So government and South African households are highly indebted Uh, But that is not a a, a key driver to sustainable growth and also employment generating growth. So although we've had a peak of growth at around 5.6% around 2006, it hasn't gone above that and it has not been sustained. Beyond the 2009 crises, we saw that we've been unable to sustain an economic growth rate of over 3%. And it's been going downward uh, quite steadily with two technical recessions in the last 18 months. So we're seeing that we need to start to change the economic structure of the economy. I believe that one of the key things that we need to do is increase our capabilities in terms of productive sectors. We need to look at new sectors that are linked to existing sectors. And we need to improve the component of our high-value manufactured exports. So the high-yield components that add high value, which require uh, significant human resource development capabilities, which we can do in South Africa. Uh, But I think that we need to begin to look at how do we employ all the different portions of our policy from trade policy, monetary policy, and fiscal policy towards focusing on growth-driving areas in our economy, um, and that's key. I think the second component is the state has to optimize public use of resources. Uh, the existing fiscus can be used to also catalyze growth, but particularly dri- driving it to localization using state um, owned entities that have an optimal and ability to kickstart growth and to subsidize some of the costs um, in certain sectors, particularly manufacturing. Uh, I, 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 want, I want to come in on this manufacturing point because it, it, in front of me I've got a, uh, something set that says the Harvard Center for International Development found that South Africa is one of a notable exception uh, in, in looking at the world's economies in terms of its ability to increase its levels of economic complexity. In other words, they're suggesting that we have not in any way uh, put together a coherent industrial policy. We haven't developed indigenous companies and, and enterprises that, that are diversifying what South Africa does. How do we change that? Um, is it a government initiative, Dr. Maliko, or is it something that corporations themselves have to want to do? I like that question. It's twofold. It's both the government and it's also entrepreneurs. 
Um, if you look at production in most um, economies that drove production, the state has key involvement. Uh, we'd argue about a developmental state or, uh, you know, state industrial policy, but there has to be an active state that enables this, uh, that subsidizes some of the costs. So you've got key components of costs that you have to be, to build a comparative advantage, you have to have a cost advantage, particularly in global markets. Yes. And a lot of those costs are taken in through policy. So policy tools and policy mechanisms mechanisms enable you to be more competitive amongst your global peers, particularly in the, in the environment we're operating in. So when the state has to uh, subsidize uh, some of those costs and also absorb some of those costs, but it has to be a very organized state. You have to have very centralized planning and the ability to drive fixed outcomes. So what we're seeing now with the National Command Council during Corona, where there's specific targets, specific outcomes that are looked at, and various indices, particularly the infection rate and the rate at which it's climbing on a weekly basis, we need similar type of emphasis with the manufacturing sector and economic growth and the crises of unemployment, where you have indices that you target and you look at them not just um, at unemployment at a quarterly level or looking at uh, GDP output and just watching the fact that it goes down with no immediate interventions to try and quell that going down. And I think that the the more concise, decisive action and very deliberate response between the private sector and the state. And I think that point that you mentioned about the lack of redistribution and the new companies coming to the fore is a very key point. DFIs, which is your IDC, uh, your Development Finance Institution, your um, the, the, the National Empowerment Fund, CIFA, and other state agencies are not coordinated. Yes. And they don't necessarily address the market failures of black-owned companies needing collateral without having, needing capital without having the prerequisite collateral. And many complain. And I think uh, you're finding that there's a finance gap that exists. So you've got yeah. a lot of new ideas and people that would want finance, but inability to access existing capital. And I think those coordinated mechanisms right. must be strengthened so, so that people can access finance for new companies to be set up. So, so Professor Borat, both you and, and Dr. Moliko have spoken about growth as a driver for a new economy. Uh, diversity in the manufacturing sector would be a key element of that. But I want to ask you this. Does growth necessarily lead to equity? Does it lead to greater levels of economic justice? Because we've had growth in a democratic South Africa before, and we haven't necessarily seen uh, that, equi- that equity, that justice, economic justice coming to the fore. How do you make sure that growth is not just a driver for um, high, higher GDP numbers, but actually is a driver for closing the gaps in, in economic opportunity and, and economic reward? Thanks, John. I mean, I um, just to sort of uh, feed off uh, Dr. Maleko's excellent input, I mean, I think, and it relates to this idea of growth with equity, um, is that, and so the work we've done feeds off a lot of the Harvard, um, the Harvard uh, input you made uh, around the nature of South Africa's growth trajectory. So what, what our evidence shows is that South Africa's pattern of structural transformation, and that's just another way of talking about the type of growth we've had, is very different to that found in Asia. So what you found in Asia, and it's it's a pattern of growth that effectively delivered growth with some sort of um, moderation on inequality, not completely, but it was, uh, for want of a better phrase, it was essentially the pursuit of low-wage manufacturing, and that's that's this notion that you move people from rural to urban areas. Yes. 
um, in the process of development. I always tell uh, my students, you know, uh, if you recall, depending on your age, if you turn the plastic toy uh, on the other uh, upside down, you, it used to say "Made in Taiwan." I don't know if you recall that, right? Yes. Um, and I say that was Taiwan in the 60s and 70s. It was this hothouse of low-wage manufacturing, uh, where large numbers of urban workers left rural Taiwan in the 60s and went into these urban factories, and Taiwan became the basket for the supply of cheap manufacturing goods to the rest of the world. I extend the metaphor and I say to students today, if you open a non-Apple Mac computer, that sticker on your left, John, says Intel inside, right? Yes. Intel is a Taiwanese company. And so effectively what Intel, uh, what Taiwan managed to do is move through the three stages of development from agriculture dominant through this low-wage mass manufacturing base and then onto high-tech services. That's the path of long-run economic development. What's happened in not just South Africa, but in many, many other developing countries, is that we've become stuck. We're stuck at the stage where we effectively can't get out of, um, of manufacturing and pursue high-tech services. What's happened is that we are effectively, and what I've termed it as, is a long-run economic growth track. That's where South Africa sits, like many other middle-income countries. We haven't been able to kick-start manufacturing, right? And in fact... What has happened, and this is sort of a global story, and international researchers, uh, including those at Harvard, like Danny Rogers and others, talking about it, is this pattern of what we refer to as deindustrialization. Yes. So essentially, economies are not doing what Taiwan did, or Japan, or China is doing. They are effectively getting stuck in this strange sort of space where they have a little bit of manufacturing that's not really productive, not really low wage, and some services. Uh, some informal sector work, and we've got this messy development path, and we're not quite sure where to go. Yeah. And that's, that's really the challenge we face. Now, if you want to go and look at a pursuit of a more equitable, equitable growth trajectory, some of the evidence we're looking at at the moment points to the fact that, in, and, you, and you refer to it in terms of industrial policy, that we should not be thinking necessarily about picking sectors, right? And this is really... Uh, uh, leaning off the Harvard work because we should be looking at where we have capabilities. And in other words, what that means is if you are if you are growing apples, John, and you do it really well, you should be thinking about apple juice yes. as the next high-value-added <laughs> product. You should not be thinking about drones, drone manufacturing, right? And that's the old style of industrial policy and this new style of thinking about capable products is exactly the kind of industrial policy approach I would argue that South Africa needs. It's about finding those sectors, those subsectors where we have lots of capabilities and, and um, expertise, and from there going into nearby products. I'll give you one example. Yes. Is that South Africa is probably one of the leading producers of something that most people I certainly hadn't heard of called rockwood. I don't know if you've heard of Rockwall. Yes. Okay. okay. I didn't know that either. I, I had never heard of Rockwall. We do. We, we did sort of sort of um, very careful uh, uh, data work on our products and our product exports. It turns out Rockwall is an insulation for buildings. Remember, we used to use that thing called pink aerolite. Right. Nowadays, it turns out pink aerolite is really bad for the environment. The entire EU building standards have changed 
and the most cost-effective, green-friendly uh, input into building insulation is this thing called rock wool. Yeah. South Africa is the lowest cost, best producer of rock wool in the world. So we need and to... Yes, exactly. And so industrial policy should be, should be focused on products like that where you say, okay, what's the problem? Turns out the Bureau of Standards and, and all sorts of non-trade barriers need to be fixed for rock wool. That will kickstart that industry. If you multiply that approach, um, John, across all, you know, we've got 50 of these products that you can talk about, frontier products, we call them, and you unlock opportunities. Right. That, for me, is, the, is what we mean by unlocking the micro-constraints to growth. I think it's exactly what Dr. Maleko is talking about, is that you then start saying, okay, how can we think about unlocking growth? And I promise you, with growth, as long as small businesses are involved, as long as we allow workers uh, to be, uh, we, we prefer labor-intensive methods where they're possible, employment will be generated with, with growth and redistribution will automatically right, uh, be generated. Dr. Maliko, I'd imagine issues of economic justice are partly about policy and strategy, but I would have also thought they are substantially about mindset as well. And I want to get your views on what business might do, the corporate sector in South Africa might do more of in a post-corona economy based on what they've been doing during this crisis, because there's been a response of generosity, there's been a sense of a willing to sacrifice, but is that a fundamental rethink in the way of doing business, which perhaps is what is required? Um, thanks, thanks for that. I think, uh, John, we've seen a really um, coming together of uh, both the private, the public, and uh, I think South Africans in general, in terms of trying to respond to the humanitarian crises that is at hand. Um, I think the the question, though, that I have at the back of my mind is, after this, then what? Uh, after the lockdown ends, are we going to go back to the normality of things, which are pretty abnormal, uh, if you ask me? I think the question for me, I think Prof Borat hit it spot on, is how is South Africa going to begin to produce goods of, uh, I think, strategic value based on our capabilities? And I think it's a question of how we use existing industries, partnering with the state, using uh, enablers such as different policy tools and mechanisms through our industrial policy to drive the growth of these new sectors. What we need is new economic entrance, and I think that's where business needs to come on board. Um, they usually have, we've seen with, uh, we're not talking today about the efficacy of uh, BE policies or triple BE now as it's known, but rather how do we ensure that with the development of these new sectors and these new capabilities rather, um, that we actually ensure that as we grow those uh, different capabilities, we're able to absorb new economic entrance new black South African owners of capital and industry, and also making sure that from a gender perspective, you have parity there. I think these are the key questions. And I think those for me is where business can come in. And I think the compliance versus doing what is necessary to grow the economy is what is key. I think there's a massive imbalance in allocation of resources. And this we see in the outcomes in terms of our economic economic indices. And I think we have to start to look at how do we ensure that everyone flourishes yes. from the South African history and the South African story. And this is not happening right now. So, so we, what we need to... Yes. So, so we've had corporates willing uh, to 
say we're going to waive, we're not going to pay out dividends at the moment, we're not going to take bonuses and so on. But is there a willingness to, for example, prioritize the creation of prosperity as opposed to profit? Is there a willingness to prioritize job creation over pleasing shareholders? In other words, a fundamental rethink of what it is to be a good corporate citizen, because I've always heard business in South Africa saying it is not our job to create jobs. So the different attitude that you see with the Asian example that Prof Borat mentioned, he mentioned the different brands from Taiwan. You can look at different brands in uh, Korea, LG, you can look at China. They developed uh, Lenovo. These are brands that didn't exist 20, 30 years ago. These are from a concerted partnership between national firms, yes. groups and conglomerates that were formed through industrial policy. They didn't exist. But the the Chinese, the Koreans, the Taiwanese understood that if they are to begin to improve their production process, which will affect economic growth, they had to ensure that they had national champions and national beneficiaries, locals of those national champions uh, that were incorporated within the production process, within the value chains, within the backward linkages. And they ensured that they imported both high-value goods and also high-value technology, which we haven't spoken about today. But I think these new entrants need to actually be emphasized by these corporates, backward linkages, value chains, where they begin to source from these new economic entrants, not as a matter of compliance, but it is a matter of national good. And I think we don't have enough emphasis on that. Um, it, it, it's not a question of you have to create new value chains, new economic entrants, new companies that supply you more than the 5% minimum requirement or 10% minimum requirement to get a BE point uh, that would put you on a good level one tier, but rather because you know that for restructuring the economy and ensuring that economic entrants represent the population, you have got to do this. And I think that that's what we haven't seen in South Africa, where there's a concerted effort and a commitment to this beyond compliance. And I think it's one thing to have uh, profits um, being held back or dividends not being uh, given, but if you have profits that are being repatriated offshore rather than being reinvested into the South African economy, rather than reinvested into real uh, productive sectors and industry. Uh, that, for me, is, a more telling, is more telling of the commitment yes. of business to the South African story and the South African growth story than holding back profit for one, um, annual, one year. John Poman is exploring the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the trajectory of political and socio-economic developments. So one of the things that that has come out in this time, obviously there's been an extension, Dr. Maliko, of the grant system. Uh, there's interesting conversations going on around the world. Esther Duflo and Abhijit uh, Banerjee won the 2019 Nobel Prize in Economics, uh, recommend something called the Universal Ultra Basic Income. And this I thought was fascinating. Uh, the Department of European Studies at Oxford have found 71% of Europeans are now in favor of introducing a Universal Basic Basic income in Britain, the figure is slightly below that 68%. They, of course, would say Europe is not our business, but that's a discussion for another day. Is that the way we need to go in South Africa, or do we need to focus on, for example, pushing up the minimum wage? So, I think that the issue of grants in a crisis is uh, critical for mitigating the negative effect of already impoverished households. So, I do support that uh, the humanitarian, it's a humanitarian relief. Uh, you need to make sure that the most poor, particularly where you have over 30 million people um, living under the poverty line, are supported. You cannot have people dying from poverty 
instead of coronavirus. So you need to quell that. And I think that the uh, necessary 50 billion allocation is, uh, is, is very much needed for the country. Let's look at then from a shock response to long-term yes. impact as to what now can you do for uh, the proposed future. I want to go back to the structural reform that Prof. Borat has also been alluding to and myself. South Africans have to look at a different way to grow the economy and create self-sufficiency instead of dependency. Uh, I'm of the view that growing subsectors and also these uh, capabilities within the manufacturing space that enable the absorption of large and mass people that are both highly skilled but also low-skilled South Africans because we have a very large majority of our population which is sitting uh, with very low level of skill um, and not necessarily able to uh, acquire those jobs that are currently within the services sector. So what you need to look at is how do you make sure that the measures that we take into account now will be sustainable for long-term growth and development. I think grants are an interim measure. Yes. They cannot be seen as a long-term development trajectory because of the pressing inequality that we have in the country and the large masses of people that are lying outside of that. So I think for me, the emphasis would be how do we use the current, even the financial markets, John, in a way that enables us to drive growth and development. I think that how do we use uh, our pension funds in a way that drives uh, economic infrastructure growth where there's a finance gap within the state. We need to start to become more innovative. I think that the ideas that need to come to the fore have to be slightly different to what we have seen before. We cannot keep doing the same thing and expecting different outcomes. And I think that what I see for myself in the future is that The basic income grant is not a sustainable way for us to look at growing South Africa's economy. What we have to look at is structural reform where you start to increase labor-absorptive sectors, increase our capabilities, improve our human resource development capabilities, and include technology, R&D, research and development in that so that we can have high-yield products high-value-added products that we can begin to export. But you must have the capabilities for that. And I think the example was given of a certain product. But I think South Africa has capabilities across various sectors. Agriculture. Right. Let's not forget chemicals and plastics. So we also have uh, capabilities within the manufacturing sector as well, machinery, uh, producing machinery. So we've got capabilities across these where we can develop our capabilities and there's a value chain of products that can be developed along these lines. But it has to be coordinated. We have to start doing things differently within the economic cluster. If we say after COVID-19, it's going to be business as usual. What I mean by that is we shut the command council. Uh, we close the doors to relief measures. We don't oversee the actual uh, relief measures that the different um, SARS is offering and uh, the different departments are offering. And we stop that just because COVID-19 is over. We would be making a terrible mistake. We have an opportunity now to keep that command council going. I would go so far as to say, let's have an economic crisis command council that is operating at the very same level as the National Command Council, coordinating economic issues, not having an advisory panel that meets quarterly. It doesn't help. African economic problem. You need to have economic evidence-based planning. You need to look yes. at industry.
to see the efficacy of efforts, you must include business and labor. And it's not like NEDLAC what I'm proposing, but I'm proposing something similar to what is happening with Command Council that has the president and very decisive actions that are taken immediately with part with partners such as the private sector and also um, academia involved in informing uh, some of these decisions and a tracking tool to see how effective are we in terms of execution of our programs and what needs to be done going forward if they don't work. And you're able to change those as we go. I think we come from a background where we take very long to stop doing what doesn't work. If we can see programs and processes not working, we can stop them. Yeah. And we've that that is possible. So Dr. Maliko beautifully sets up what will be the second episode of Beyond Corona, which is actually going to look at issues of governance and government. And government, uh, do we need to have more decisive, more centralized action around certain things? That's going to be coming up in about a week's time. But just to stay with our conversation and uh, economic change. Professor Barat, the pandemic has led every country in the world to start questioning their position in the global economy. Are they too dependent on other countries for things that they ought to be making themselves? How should South Africa in a post-corona world reconsider its position in global trade, in global manufacturing? Yeah, so I think, John, it operates at two levels. I think it comes back to my earlier point that there's the large swathes of uh, of our economy uh, at the sectoral level where these sectors or these firms are in firefighting mode. So if we take the case of horticulture, for example, um, they, their biggest concern at the moment is not where are the new opportunities, but rather can we ensure that product can get to market? Can we access ports? Can we, uh, do we know if the Europeans are actually uh, open for business? Um, what is happening to our cash flow? Uh, are we selling enough locally? So I think they all, at, the, at that sort of level, large parts of, of uh, South Africa's economy are operating in that firefighting mode. I think, though, the, the opportunity does lie for, um, for a closer examination by sector experts of where value chains, parts of the value chain, you use the example of masks, where parts of a value chain uh, used to used to get inputs from abroad or foreign um, firms, and that has broken down. And I think their industrial policy can intervene to incentivize local firms to produce those inputs. It's almost an opportunity uh, where infant industry protection, sectoral support can come in as part of a COVID-19 related strategy. Um, it's it's in the same way. We've given a Philip correctly so to poor households in the form of a COVID grant. Yes. Maybe we should be thinking about a COVID-19 targeted industrial policy, very, very mm. clearly targeted at those, at those sectors where we know value chains have broken down or we can't get product it, uh, inputs uh, to local manufacturers or local producers, and we can find ways in which we can encourage uh, new businesses. And I think for me... That's part of a very deliberate conversation that you can have um, at, a, at a very detailed level across the value chain. And I think because there's a strong engagement between um, government, business and labor at the moment, I think that's one of the exciting things that's happened out of COVID-19, as, as difficult as this process has been, is that there's constant interaction between those three parts of uh, 
of uh, of the sort of stakeholder based value chain, if you like, you can you can get this kind of information fairly quickly yes. and move things from policy to implementation much more quickly uh, than I think we've been able to pre COVID nineteen. So, Dr. Moliko. We, we, we've had many weeks now of what someone described as the redistribution of respect. And what that means is that suddenly we realize that taxi drivers and people who work in logistics companies and, of course, health workers are actually critical and in many ways more important than merchant bankers. Those people would say, we don't just want a redistribution of respect, we want a redistribution of reward. And I'm wondering, does this allow us to, as a society, have a reconsideration about the value of a, of a supermarket cashier who's, who's literally our lifeline at the moment, the, the same for a shelf packer, and reconsider who gets paid what in a, in a post-corona South African economy? Well, the, one of the issues that we have is a market failure of uh, wage determination. Um, I think South Africa's uh, labor policies, and I think the labor market uh, minimum wage is an example of how uh, many in the different sectors that have low wages or low income levels have argued for basic living wage. And uh, there's been resistance uh, from various pockets to say this may uh, deliberately uh, quell our efforts to grow. We will be more costly than our competitors. And, and, and the question is, uh, how then do you enable South Africa's livelihood to improve without a growth of income? If you'll note the, the um, equivalent uh, emerging markets that have improved livelihoods and growth have also risen quite substantially in terms of uh, basic levels of income comparably. So uh, per capita income levels, which South Africa has only grown, I think, by 10% over the last few years. Yes. In comparison with others that have more than quadrupled uh, times by 2030 in terms of level of income. So this is not a question of uh, whether we should have it or not. It's a critical question to growth. If you have inequality, it uh, doesn't enable the growth paths of your uh, increased growth to be spread uh, and spread equitably. So you've got to have uh, these issues dealt with quite uh, decisively. I think that uh, the second the second part of that is the question of the um, dependence on uh, the state, which has to be quelled and reduced, particularly when you're looking at uh, the services sector, which is now facing the same constraints as any other sector. Um, and many are shutting down. We've seen Edcon coming to the fore saying that they are now under business rescue. And many of those uh, services sector are reliant on, uh, are reliant on um, investment income and, and monies that have come in from different... Uh, the PIC, for instance, was uh, one of the investors into the Edcon group recently. So you're seeing that uh, without the necessary support from different players and different pockets of society. Yes. These very industries themselves wouldn't exist, um, but the benefits must be um, equitably distributed. But of course we know uh, that uh, our unique uh, history means that those who are at the bottom of, of our income deciles have uh, further inequality and uh, the wage gap is very, very um, distorted, particularly if you're a black woman, uh, you're the lowest paid. The median incomes and wage levels in South Africa speak to the, race, the race and the gender. So uh, we need to correct those. And those are not going to be corrected by the market. The market has failed to correct those. So you need to intervene as a state to ensure that these are, these are um, taken care of. 
Many thanks to Dr. Ntabiseng Muliko, who joined us from the University of Stellenbosch Business School. And our thanks as well to Professor Harun Borat, who joined us from the University of Cape Town's School of Economics. This has been Beyond Corona, South Africa and the World After the Pandemic, brought to you by the Conrad Adenauer Foundation in partnership with Kaya FM. This podcast is brought to you by Kaya FM in partnership with the Conrad Adenauer Foundation.